Well, I'm Grady King with Hope Network, and this is John Mulliken. And we have had Hope Network six years. Brother Lynn Anderson began Hope Network in 1996 to mentor leaders and guide churches. And John and I uh, have taken that over from Lynn. And if you know Lynn Anderson, uh, how many know Lynn's work was? Lynn's headed to Spain today for six weeks. And uh, he's doing fairly well, has to have oxygen full time, uh, a little two, uh, tank with him. But they're headed to see their son in Barcelona to stay six weeks, so we wish them Godspeed. Um, HopeNetworkMinistries.org is our website. HopeNetworkMinistries.org. We do interim ministry, we do consulting and mentoring, work with churches and vision, mission, governance. Um, we have 17 partners and another 10 or 12 people that do interim ministry and associate work as well. And so uh, last year in 2017, we were in probably how many? 225 churches in 2017 and worked with probably three or 400 leaders individually in different ways. So, uh, I'm really tired just saying that. <laughs> How do you feel? But anyway, so let's begin with prayer and the rocks. I'll explain those in just a minute, what to do with those. Father, we are grateful for the life that you've given us in Christ. We're grateful for the kingdom of God. We're grateful for our heritage in churches of Christ, the good things about our people, about our heritage. We pray, Father, we would lean into the healthy, discard the unhealthy, and that we would be so deeply rooted in Jesus Christ that the world can't help but see. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Bible's class is leadership is spelled C-O-U-R-A-G-E, setting sail into an unknown future. And I think everybody recognizes that we're kind of in a period and a time of chaos in our culture. And um, religion in North America is all over the map, and many of the mainline churches are really struggling. So we're not going to help you one bit in the next two days, uh, in, in a sense. We don't have quick fixes for long-term issues, but we do have a way to go forward, and it's called courage. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Joshua 1, just to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Uh, we've given you a rock, and we'd like for you to take that rock, if you have that, just simply put it in your pocket right now. Your pocket or your jacket. Just don't even put it in front of you. Uh, we'll come to the end of today to let you know who to throw the rocks toward. Um, today, <clears throat> let's listen to the word of the Lord in Joshua. A familiar text. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying... My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, 
so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Today we want to talk about individual courage. Tomorrow we want to talk about collective courage, communal courage, group courage. What does it mean for a group to be courageous? You can be thinking about what are the things we're faced with, what are the things we're faced with in our culture, but more specifically, your own ministry context. What are you faced with that's going to take some courage? And by the end of tomorrow, maybe we can help you have a little bit more of that. But how in the world do we define courage, John? So I've written on the board a, a basic definition of courage. You might look and Google and find a better one. There could be some that are more robust than this one, but this one's pretty simple and easy to remember. Right? The ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. I want to take a moment and pick this apart, okay? First one is, is this is conditional. Courage is conditional. The first point is that you have to know that it's difficult or dangerous. Naivete, <coughs> naivete and courage don't necessarily go together, right? If you don't know you're walking into a trap, that's not courage at all. You're just walking, right? So you have to know, you have to realize, cognate that this is, I'm going into a place that is potentially dangerous or difficult, okay? Secondly, I want to talk about internal and external concerns, right? Uh, for example, I had a friend who um, was accosted in his home, shot, almost died. And so for you and me, depending on your home environment, being at home is nothing courageous at all. It's just a nice thing to do. For, my, for me at my house, when I'm in my house, I'm pretty comfortable. I, I, it's not, there's no courage there. But once that event happened to my friend, right, and he got out of the hospital, there's a lot of people who would say, I'm selling this house. I'm not going back in there because of the memory, right? It's an internal thing now for him. But he chose to step back into his home and purposely live there for another year in order to prove to himself that he wasn't afraid anymore. That's an internal condition. It's an internal thing that keeps him from doing something or maybe makes it dangerous, right? So we have internal things that happen to us, experiences that we've had that make a particular thing dangerous to us, not to somebody else. Then the externals, of course, are those external forces, outside forces that could hurt us, cause damage to us. And when I talk about hurt, I'm usually talking in our environment, it's not about physical hurt so much from a courage perspective, but more a psychic hurt, something emotional that can hurt us. And as church leaders, one of the things that often puts us back on our heels is a concern about an external person coming at us with ferocity about an act that we've that we, something we've done or something we've said, right? So, you have to know that, it's, that there's something dangerous. It could be internal or external, and it's your ability, okay? So I'm gonna ask you to turn, if you want to, to Acts 4. I wanna, I wanna recall a story that, that or read a story that you know quite well, 
And if you want to just listen, you can certainly do that. It's a great story. It's familiar. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers of the, and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So for us as Christ followers, we could add something to this definition, right? By or through the what? Power of the Holy Spirit. Right? The ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. So let's talk about a little bit about kind of illustrate a, a loss of courage. I'm thinking of a young minister in about a 350, 400 member church that had been there two or three years, had his first child. Um, there was a change in the leadership. He felt the tension. He was no longer invited into the leader group. It was identified that it's basically one or two men that didn't want the new young minister. The church was growing. Uh, they, had good, they had a good reputation in the community. But all of a sudden, the leadership changed, and no longer was he part of that leadership group. Had a new young baby, been there a while, really loved the people, loved the town, loved the ministry. But the change in the leadership group demanded that uh, he do something. So what he did... Um, his wife said, why don't you quit complaining about it? Why don't you invite that leadership group over? I'll fix brownies. We'll serve coffee. And let's just lay it out on the table in a very calm, rational way. This is what we came here for. This is what we agreed to. This, we're look, we had our first child. We're looking at moving into the future. Now, individual elders had visited with him over lunches and said, hey, we support you. Don't, don't leave us. We love you. It's great. We know there's a little transition here. So <clears throat> he shared among the seven elders, and his wife shared, which is hard for her. She's an introvert. She's quiet, but in her own home, she, she spoke calmly and rationally. This is, um, this is what, where we are as a family. We want to know if we 
need to plan on staying here a long time. We love the people, and we'd like to talk to you about this. Silence. More silence. So she kind of looked at me with her brown eyes and said, Gentlemen, we, we're not asking for you to process this privately. We're asking for this to be processed as adults right here in the room. We'll get back with you, spoke one of the new elders in charge, and let you know what we think. They left. We prayed. They left. He was picking up the kitchen and said, our decision has been made. So, the next day, two elders called the minister and said, I can't, you know, don't, mis don't misunderstand that. You know, I, 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 we really want you here, and we can't imagine not, you not being here. To which this young minister, named Grady, <laughs> said, that decision was made last night. Oh, no, no, no. And I looked and said, Why didn't you speak up? And why didn't your friend that I just had coffee with last week speak up? Well, I, I, I should have, but, but we didn't. I said, too late. Would you reconsider? No. Didn't intend to use myself in a story like that. Sorry. But... It really took his wife saying, why don't you quit complaining about it and have enough courage to call them together and put them on the table and you'll know. But why weren't the guys, why, can you tell me, why did they not speak up if they told me privately they wanted me to stay? You tell me, what, what emotions are going on? They weren't together. They weren't together. What else is going on? F-E-A-R. Lack of courage. It's, it's just plain fear. Fear, what we listen to a lot is we listen to the stories uh, as people share about what's going on in their churches. We're not listening to the content of what they're saying. We're listening for the emotion behind what they're saying. And we identify that emotion sometimes. And they go, oh, no, we're not afraid. Well, yes, for 15 minutes you've talked all around it, but you're afraid. And some elderships have this written or unwritten rule that we only speak as a group. And so if it's not 100%, we don't say anything. Okay. Any other thoughts on what happened there? Well, the first problem was that he was not part of the team. That, that preacher, that minister, was not mm -hmm. part of the leadership team. Instead of he was an outsider to the leadership of the church. Okay. He had been up until the change of the leader group. And had he been part of the leadership team, that might not happen. They might talk about it. And he wasn't okay, good. One other comment. Yeah, it was probably a poor job of onboarding of the new shepherds that when you bring someone new in, it can change the complexity of things. 
So maybe on the front end, getting some of that unification would have helped. Okay. Okay. F-E-A-R is the biggie and the language of fear. So when you're talking about having courage, you have to identify what you're afraid of. One of the things that we do with groups, I'll let John lead and he can get into where he was going next. Uh, you didn't know I'm about to do this. No. <laughs> We've been together long enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we do in a group is ask the question, who would you like to join? Who? That one. Yeah. Who, who would you like to have join you in this conversation? Living or dead? <clears throat> who could be helpful to you in joining you in this conversation? It's one of the questions that we ask in order to get at what might be helpful to them and take away some of the fear. Because the truth is, their voices are in the room. Yeah. Their voices are in the room. It's a young elder whose daddy was an elder. It's, a, it's somebody that we can't do this because of, you know. That's where we get into, it's going to take a few funerals for things to change around here. Why does it have to wait that long? F-E-A-R. Go ahead, John. Okay. So, we, we mentioned at the early at, at the start that we've been with a lot of churches, and we have. And Mike Cope asked us to come and talk about something uh, that we thought was important to talk about. We're talking about courage, because uh, courage is lacking in our leaderships, is what we've seen. Okay, so I want to talk a moment, and we can we can keep the uh, participation going. And I'm going to start with one thing. What, what would make a leader, we're talking about individual courage at this point, although the example also gets into a little bit of collective courage, but what would make a leader fearful? You know, what would make them anxious? Lack of experience. Lack of experience, okay. You know, our current, yes, Rex. People one-on-one one-on-one -on -one conflict. They're, they're avoiding one-on-one -on -one conflict. Sure. Yeah, avoiding conflict is a huge factor. Sure. Yes, ma'am. Not knowing from the get-go who they are dealing with. Okay, not knowing who, who they're dealing with. Because we have an anxious culture, right? And our media does a great job of reflecting the anxiety back in toward us. If you watch the news very much, you're going to be anxious because that's what it provides, is anxiety. I mean, just listen to the headlines, and if they don't have something to make you anxious, they'll make something up to make you anxious. They'll make something sound like it's terrible, when it's like a cat crossed the street. I mean, they, they, they do something with that, and they make you think, oh, all the cats are gonna get run over. It's like, wait, you know, that's not true. But we have this very anxious public. It doesn't take anything for the anxiety, and anxiety connects. It's a hard wire among us as human beings. When I was at uh, Garnett in Tulsa, a lady came bursting into a staff meeting where we were at, and we all jumped up from our seats, alarmed because she came in in a tizzy. I mean, it was like that fast. We didn't know what was going on. She was not in our meeting, but she had us all up, ready to go. Well, she had a reason to be anxious because she had just gotten a very kind, and I put that in parentheses, emails from her husband that said he wanted a divorce from her. Well, she had a reason to be anxious, but we got anxious with her that quick. Now, it was easy to calm back down because it was her own personal thing, but frankly, when she ran in, we thought Marvin Phillips had died. He just died a few days ago. 
But at that moment, we just thought, that's what else could make her so uptight, right? But we went right in it with her. Okay, what about our safety orientation as a culture? Okay, you remember, this was the safety bell when I was growing up. Anybody else, right? Brakes go on, arm goes out. I mean, I didn't wear a safety belt until I was 20, 21. Right? My mom did that so much to me, that's why I went from six foot tall to five eight. There you go. <laughs> that's what happened. You know, so my since kids. then, safety seats, appropriate, there's some appropriate measures to keep kids safe, but it, it's gone way, way overboard. Our prayers, listen to our prayers. Every, almost every prayer has what? Keep us safe. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. But if that's our orientation all the time, every day, every moment, it's our orientation. So, anxiety, public anxiety, safety orientation. For a church leader, we've got a litigious society too. Well, we can't do that because we'll get sued. We can't do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should do illegal things. I'm saying when you make a move and make a decision, one of the first things that comes into a leader's mind is, I might get sued. I might find myself in court. We might put the church in jeopardy. Now, you want to be smart about things, but we have such a litigious society that we all withdraw and we come back in. Okay. In public education, my wife's in public education as an administrator, and she, she says, and I've noticed in public education and maybe in government too, we don't fire anybody anymore. All we do is move around incompetence for fear of lawsuits. Lastly, and this is something we are all familiar with, and that is how swiftly one of our actions can become public and can soar across social media and create some real issues for us. So I don't want you to hear that we should throw caution to the wind and none of these things matter, not at all. But we do have an anxious uh, society and we typically then have anxious churches. They walk in uptight, okay? We're litigious, we're safety oriented, and any act that we, that we perform can become uh, world news in a heartbeat. So there are a lot of reasons for the courage to go into the pocket and be left there. When I was, took age 40, I walked into a thousand member church, seven ministers on staff. I was a senior minister. Elders just said, you know, you, the staff's going to report to you, you report to us, that kind of stuff. And I, I, was, I was pretty overwhelmed by that. And uh, I'd heard that there were some cranky members in that church who had had their way. Well, I, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I got decent people skills. I mean, God will help me identify those. I identified them very quickly. So one day I'm kind of stewing and fretting, you know, because who, who wakes up saying, hey, I want to be rejected today, and I don't want anybody to like me, you know? <laughs> And so, um, here comes one of our elders who used to be a dean of men at Abilene Christian, older man. He picked up attendance cards on Sunday morning, retired city manager, 
picked him up, brought him to the office, just a slow-talking, gentle soul. He walks in, he says, how you doing, brother? I said, I'm fine. Have you found our cranky members yet? <laughs> I said, Morris, I, I think I've recognized, I've been here a couple of months, I think I recognize. He said, look, here's the deal. You can try to handle them if you want. I've been here 40 years. The same people that were cranky here were cranky when I was city manager for the city. They haven't grown up. They, he said, here's the deal. All you got to do is call me someday and say, Morris, so-and-so and so-and-so is wearing me out, and I'll handle it. I said, okay, thank you. I called him one day and said, what do I do? He said, you don't do anything. That's why I'm a shepherd, and I'll take care of it. I never heard another word. <laughs> what did you do, Morris? Six months later, he said, oh, I just told him to grow up <laughs> and leave this fine preacher alone, that the elders are more than capable of working with him. They just needed to grow up, and it'd be fine. Now, they're going to be mad at me for a few weeks, but I've known them 40 years. He said, you know, my mother used to say it this way, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. You know, the old country girl from Oklahoma, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. But that's courage. But it's calm courage. It's a knowing, knowing people courage. It's a, oh, I'm gonna, he, he didn't lose any sleep. He just said, I know them, they're gonna be fine. And he's the same person that would have been there visiting them if they'd been in the hospital. He would have listened to him a little bit, but he's going to draw a line in the sand and say, eh, enough is enough. Come on now. But he'd always say it in that kind of way. He never took on their anxiety. He never took on their anxiety. Uh, so that's an illustration. You got an illustration? Well, I, re I remember a, a city manager, a friend of mine, who uh, gave me a quote as an executive minister that was really good. He said, John, your job is a lot like mine as a city manager. Your friends come and go, but your enemies accumulate. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you can expect, Mickey Webb, you can expect um, to have some people that you'll get to deal with. And remaining calm is certainly one of the things that's helpful. The other one is to know where you stand. As much as it is within you to know your position on things, it helps you have courage. If you are still figuring something out, don't force an answer. Well, what do you think about this baptism thing that's going on in the church? I'm still thinking about it, is a fine answer. Well, what do you think about this baptism thing? Well, I think it's a bit overblown, and here's why. Take your stand and take it calmly. Just like this, this gentleman said, he took a stand. He said, you need to leave this preacher alone and let him do his job. That's his stand. That is how you can help yourself say what needs to be said, having thought about it, having prayed about it, whatever it is. And there are some things that take time to work out. And so one of the things that you'll have people do as a church leader they'll come to you and say I want an answer on this issue now in which case they do need to grow up because that's what four-year-olds do 
But we let the four-year-old mentality run our church because we, if they demand an answer, we'll give it to them. Jesus usually parried a question with what? A question. A question. Well, what do you think about it? Where are you on it? I'm still thinking about it. We're still working it out. You can use that as an excuse for too long. Yes, you can as a leader. But being able, being able to know where you stand on something. And if somebody surprises you with a question you're not ready for, you know what? You surprised me with that question. I need a little time to think about that. There's nothing wrong with that. So it takes courage to take your own position, especially if that position is unpopular, right? Or maybe even disagrees a bit with some of your other friends in leadership. But leaderships that have forced everybody into the same mold are moving toward cultishness. We can have our own opinions and should. And if you can articulate them well, then it helps you stand where you need to stand and step back where you need to step back and allows the courage to come forward. Well, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't thought, I haven't thought about it long. That's not strength and courageous. What's the opposite of courageous? Cowardice? Our, our Lord was not a coward. So if we're going to walk in his shoes, then knowing what we know, not not cocksure, dead certain, never moving. I'm not talking about that. But knowing where you stand on things is helpful so that you can be courageous. I'm thinking of another illustration of a church last year that called and said, are you going to be in our area time soon? Uh, we just fired our minister and uh, 100 people walked out. And uh, I said, I, I could, I'm going to be in this area. I could, I'd spend a th There's 21 elders in this church. And it's a fairly large church. And so I said, I'll be there on Thursday night to listen. And they said, well, we're, we're kind of beat up right now. And so I listened. And this guy that tried to let him go three or four years earlier, and he had talked him out of it. And he had a reputation as a bully among the ministry staff and among some of the deacons that are now new elders. And they said, enough's enough. We're going to deal with it. And they tried, you know, calm, and they couldn't. So I listened to him talk for two and a half hours and ask a bunch of questions. And I said, all right. And one of my, I knew a couple of the elders and I, I looked at this man and I said, hey brother, what did you do the day they were he was fired? He said, um, my tendency was go to lunch early with my wife and go home and lock the door. <laughs> but what I did is I went in the middle of the church auditorium, right smack dab in the middle as soon as church was over, and I took it on the nose. I mean, whatever they wanted to say to me, I said, and I did not react. And there's things that we knew that the church as a whole didn't know, even the hundred that walked didn't know, and we couldn't say it to be responsible leaders. It would not be helpful to him or anybody else. And I said... I said, wow, that's leadership. You just took it on the nose. He said, oh, I'm telling you what. I took a three-hour nap that afternoon. I was so exhausted. Probably 20 people just went after me loudly in my face. One lady punched her finger in my chest. I said, what would you do? He said, I gently just moved her finger and just listened to what, her what she said. That's leadership. Mm -hmm. 
That's leadership. He just took it, knowing he could not say what he knew. Now, that's the kind of courage that, whoa, that is rare. In the churches we've been, and we see this consistently, there is a lack of courage because of the voices that are being heard. And the immediate thing is, who am I going to, as an elder, and I've been asked to be an elder before and turned it down. I was the preacher. I didn't think that was really healthy. And so, but elders is who I spend most of my time with and, and preachers. And, and I'm thinking, as an elder, my first thought is, okay, we make this decision. We're going to make this announcement. We're headed this direction. We're going to try to be calm and rational. But I know the four people that are going to wear me out on this. And I just don't want to deal with it. So there comes a time when you got to be strategic about what decision you're making and how often and what, what's the magnitude because you just get worn out. I can appreciate that. I've gone from, um, oh, elders too. Oh, my goodness, elders. How in the world do you do it? I mean, it is, it is not easy. And you're working jobs and you're doing other things and it's not... It, it's, I have more compassion for elders now than I've ever had in my life. Okay. So I admire the man that stood in the middle. And I said, did all your elders do that? He said, no. Nah. Some of them stayed in the corner and hoped they get nobody talked to them. And I said, well, you can't fault He said, I don't fault them. I've been an elder longer than some of them, but I just know. And one of the things that influenced him was our friend Lynn Anderson and some others. But this is a good time to mention this. Uh, some of you are familiar with the book Failure of, A Failure of Nerve, Leadership and Age of Quick Fix by Edwin Friedman. He's a Jewish rabbi that was uh, trained in systems, he applied system, family system stuff to church leadership. And it's basically stay calm, uh, take a stand, stay calm, stay connected with those you disagree with. Don't distance yourself. That's the essence of it, but there's a lot more to it than that. Than that. He had a student named Peter Steinke, or Steinke, some call him. He's written several books on healthy congregations. This one you can't find on Amazon. Uh, you can order it from New Vision Press. But it's kind of the distilled version. He was a student of Friedman. It's a little easier to read, I think. A little easier to read if you don't have a family systems background to understand that stuff. Called Teaching Fish to Walk, Leadership and Adaptive Challenge. And he'll deal strongly with your emotional life and how you handle your, your own emotions and people's emotions, and the person who's the calmest in the room has the greatest influence, regardless who's yelling the loudest. The guy that comes across the table, and we've had some of those. Yeah. I've been in situations where two elders got into it, came across the table to each other. We've been in situations we've asked them to step outside and handle their stuff, because it wasn't part of that discussion. I mean, you know, so, um, it's not our first rodeo. <laughs> That's why my nose is a little flatter. But anyway, <laughs> teaching fish to walk, I would highly encourage you. You can order from New Vision Press on the internet from Peter Steinke. Uh, one of the things he said about us, uh, John and I and Eddie Sharp got to meet with him in Austin. He's a Lutheran guy. <clears throat> he didn't know much about us. And uh, he found the fascinating, the restoration story, uh, he found it very fascinating. And uh, he's, he did know Charles Seibert from Abilene Christian that passed away, and he had great respect for him. But 
But he said, you know, the way your church polity is set up, your elder minister has some natural adversarial tension. It's a wonder you get anything done. Who, who's in charge and how do they make decisions and how do people come as volunteers a couple times a month in a meeting and yet you got a person over here that's the ministry staff. He was really fascinated and that's why this stuff is really, really important to understand in our particular church polity. I'm all for elder group. I'm all for ministers. But we're going to have to have very clear understandings of what it means to work together with the gifts each of us have and not be in an adversarial competing relationship. The title of the book comes from, in the Amazon, there's a little fish that's amphibious. It has both lungs and gills. It's about this large in the shallow waters of the Amazon. Uh, so, uh, social researchers uh, in Ottawa, Canada, took the fish and isolated it on land for eight months, and it learned to walk. And it, its lung capacity grew, and it adapted to its environments because the way God designed it to adapt. Isn't that fascinating? B-I-C-H-I-R is the name of the fish. You can look it up on the internet. It's fascinating. Now, his premise of the book is, if God designed a tiny little fish like that to be able to adapt to its environment, how much more could God's people filled with the Spirit be able to function and not wring our hands wondering, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. We can't, change, we can't make adjustments. We can't do. In other words, we can't have enough courage to move forward. Hmm. So we'll got just a few minutes left. Um, take out your rock, if you would. And I, I want this to just simply symbolize your own courage. Okay? And we have, you've heard us say, that many of our church leaders have put the, their courage in their pocket and they've held it and they've hidden it. They didn't necessarily mean to, they didn't think of it that way. But over time, you all know this, over time your behaviors reinforce themselves and you find yourself without courage potentially. So I'd like for you to keep this out today. Keep your courage out. And Think about what courageous move you need to make in your context that will be helpful. I'm talking about grandstanding, we're not talking about you know being silly or even foolish, but rather what what do you know you need to do that that you know is dangerous and difficult, but the Holy Spirit has prompted you to act, to say what you need to say in the right context to do what you need to do as a church leader to be helpful to your people, men and women can do this. Individually, you can turn situations in a different direction by your Holy Spirit-infused courage. And it'll be amazing what happens. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yes, sir. I'm going to shamelessly plug my class okay. uh, tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock that follows up on what Grady was talking about, about our polity and our relationships within the Holy Spirit as ministers and elders. Say your name. Dave, Dave Schultz. Dave Schultz at 2 o'clock where? Uh, I'm, you don't know, but somewhere. Yeah. 
We'll see it on the schedule. Okay, Dave Schultz tomorrow too. Class is called Power Plays. Power Plays. Thank you. Boy, that's thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Uh, Bruce. Bruce. Uh, during my ministry, I had courage. I lost courage. Mm. Got courage and lost courage. Can you speak to how to keep our courage up? You mentioned one thing. Yes. I know what you stand for, what you believe. Can you help us? Sure. Sure. And I've got one too, but go ahead. Uh, I wrote down three ways to build individual courage over time. Uh, my lack of courage was, was uh, in my own ministry, was tied to my family of origin issues. Uh, a, a very unhealthy preacher-father relationship. My, pre my dad was, and granddad both, were very unhealthy Church of Christ preachers. Um, uh, and it was even hard to hear anything redemptive when somebody said, hey, I heard your dad preach years ago, and boy, he was, and I'm going, yeah, but you don't know. So I've had to learn to show some grace in my own life with that now that they're both gone. Um, so mine was tied to our family origin, but I wrote down this first thing is, is uh, confess the emotion that hinders motion. Confess the emotion that hinders motion. I'm a preacher, you can tell. Had to run. Uh, <clears throat> And what I mean by that is you've got to label what it is. There's a little book called How to Talk So Children Will Listen and How to Listen So Children Will Talk. It's 30 years old, but it's still great helping children identify their emotion. And I would say, you kids just need to deal with this. And my wife would say, boy, I sh you sure sound anxious about that. You sure sound afraid. She said labeling their emotions. She's a lot better than I am. I have an elder friend that was a star athlete, football and basketball in Texas, and I never knew. Uh, he was deathly afraid, he did triathlons, deathly afraid of open water. So, so I said, hey, Terry, what'd you do about that? Before you, triathlons, you, you competed in several of them. And he said, well, I went to a psychologist. I said, what did the psychologist do? He asked me to visualize and speak out loud what I was afraid of. I said, what was it? He said that something would bite me in the open water and take me down and I'd drown. And he asked me to expand it and imagine it bigger than my body and it was just giant sea monster that would come up. And as he's talking about it, he said, that sounded so ridiculous. <laughs> that I, That's not going to happen. And he said, see you next time. <laughs> what he did is he confessed the emotion that hindered his motion and dealt with his fear. The second thing I had, do you have one? Second thing I had, and this might sound a little backdoorish, identify your ministry burden or passion. If you want courage, you will always have courage out of what you, your ministry burden or passion is. So if you're really passionate about benevolence and mercy and, and children, and, and you know, you're thinking, I'm, I'm having trouble expressing courage, find where you're most passionate and where your ministry burden is. And it, your courage will come out of that reservoir of ministry burden or your giftedness. Does that make sense? Okay. The third thing I had, John has one, is uh, declare the next step no matter how large or small it is. What's, if it's a baby step, declare it. What I mean is you need a partner. You need someone. For me, it's John. I, I just say, here's what I'm going to do. This is the next step. And he, he said, that's good. You want me to hold you accountable to that? I said, yes, that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> Declare the next step, no matter how large. You've got to take a next step 
and then with it is mutual prayer. The power back to power of the spirit. Yeah, I think the last thing would be to, to know yourself, to know what sets you off, to know what buttons you have installed in yourself that people can push, right? If you know that, then you're, you're more apt to step boldly and not be afraid of making a mistake or misstepping. So knowing yourself means going back to family of origin work and understanding how you're built, what, what does cause you to be fearful, what you are afraid of, and do that work, and do that work however it gets done. Spouse, friend, Psycho, you know, therapist, counselor, minister, whatever, it, whatever you need. So, so as courage builds, as courage shows up, it, 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 it brings out more courage. You know this, right? When you see somebody act courageously, you're like, yeah, yeah, that, what they did right there. I want to do that too. It makes sense. It's, it's contagious as well. It can be. So tomorrow, we're going to talk about what it takes to be collectively courageous because we've seen a courageous move get subsumed and swarmed and swamped by fear of the group. So we think there's something about a group culture that needs to be talked about because a courageous person can often be swept aside, potentially, by a group. And so we want to talk about group courage, collective Courage. Because our polity says we're going to have a group of leaders, right? Which, where else do we do that? Nobody does that. Just us. And oftentimes, and it's, biblical. I, I, it's biblical. We have this, well, the buck stops at the elders, so we really can't do anything. That's a lie from Satan. The Bible tells me differently. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 21 is all about how the body ought to be the body. You know, and so it, it's amazing. So one of the things we ask you to think about for tomorrow is this. What story... How do I say it, John? What story do you keep telling about your congregation or your elder group? And the subpoints that are that you may be wedded to, yep. that defines you, that locks you in, that hinders you. What's the payoff? What story do you keep saying about your church? How do you, what story do you say? And I'll just, I'll just leave it there. We'll give us some time back today. That's great. Yeah, yes. I know you guys have taught on this in the past about where you have private courage among uh, even the majority of shepherds. When they get together, there's a bully in the room that shuts down the courage. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. tomorrow. Special case. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes, ma'am. You know, I, I work with people that are like really in a mess of recovery, mm. and I want to bring people so they can learn about God. They don't know who God is. And it's hard because I think it's taken too long to figure this all out, you know, as a group of people. Yes. So I have to take them to another church so they can learn about God in a free setting. And so I get, I know this opens up a whole can of worms, but I just had to get off my chest. Yeah, what we're sometimes I hear your.
more important than the content you're sharing is the emotion behind it. And thank you for having the courage to share like that. I appreciate it. Uh, what we could get concerned about is we can get them to Jesus, but we're concerned about how the Jesus community will treat them. So that's when you say you pick the people you know are safe and you protect them like a shepherd would sheep. And you hang that's with what them. You're doing. And that's, that's what exactly doing. what you're doing. Thank you for sharing your heart. Good to see you again. Any other comments? We're trying to give you some time back. That's our general rule. You'll love us more if we give you time back. That's what it's about, it's loving us. I mean, Thanks for coming. That's a deal. How did you resolve that first issue you talked about?